Welcome everyone to episode number 50 and a half of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration of the world of the films of the 2010s. I am your host, Adam Cervantes Wagner, and allow me to introduce my co-host, Mr. 2020 himself, Trevor Dillon. <laughs> yeah, if there was a year to represent my personality, it would be 2020. Uh, how, how good is your vision, Trevor? Oh, it's excellent. It's actually not 2020, it's 2010. Do you know what that means? Tell me. That means it's better than 2020. Hey, because those are the movies we're going through today. Uh, as you heard at the top of the show, this is the second part of our episode number 50 because uh, we're trying to uh, make sure that this is 50 episodes. This one is our 50th episode, but don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anybody. Adam, we're going to skip our regular segments. We're not going to do media diet today. And we're not going to do the discourse because I've been watching movies lately, but none that I really want to talk about. Well... Why don't we talk about the uh, rest of your list, Trevor? I know everyone has been itching to listen to our follow-up episode to our most popular episode ever made. Yes, people really seem to respond to us talking about the films of the 2010s. And also, we're going to close out this episode by reading out some of our listeners, or probably people who don't even listen to the show, but responded to the Instagram post that I put up about their favorite movies of the 2010s. We had a bunch of answers, Adam, and we're going to go over them at the end. Mm-hmm. We'll see how disappointed we end up being with uh, our fan base. No, these people have taste, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, if you say so. We'll see how many are Joker. All right, well, yeah, well, we will get to that. Um, <laughs> was that the 2010s? Yeah, it was the 2010s. All right, yeah. um, I just blocked it out of my mind completely. Just got you know it. what else? Yeah. Uh, it was 2010s, which I, I know neither of us are going to have on our list. La La Land. Yeah, I mean, hey, <laughs> I like. Yeah, I think I had Whiplash as my one of my um, honorable mentions. We Same. could see a movie from that. You don't know that La La Land's not going to be in my uh, top twelve here. There's no way. Okay, well, we'll see. Also, uh, I you probably already forgot about this, but I haven't. If we have, because we had no crossover at all at the beginning of our list from from all, the five honorable mentions to twenty to number thirteen, we had zero crossover, and we let it slip last episode that so far there hasn't been a movie said that each of us has on our list going forward, uh, unless you're lying or I'm lying, but zero crossover. If we have five crossover total from numbers twelve to one. We are very soon gonna do like a, a hot ones episode where we eat. Uh, very, explain, explain. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the the treat that you put together. Yeah, well, we did. Uh, we purchased five hot sauces from Heatness, the hot ones company, including the uh, last dab. They progressively get hotter, and so ideally, oh, if somehow we do have five in common, which I think we are going to, um, we will eat hot wings with those spices live on the air, talk about movies or something. Oh, wow. So we're going to do wings with them. We're not just going to take them uh, just a la mode. Uh, maybe we could involve chips or something easier. It's up to you. We'll kind of see how yeah. we're feeling. I don't know how soon we'll do that episode, but I know that you uh, we had t- teased doing it with a friend of the show, Zishan Yunus. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe he'll Rest come back. Peace. Yeah, RIP. He... Um, Saw the last duel too many times. OD'd on the last duel. <laughs> um, but let's get into this. Uh, obviously, we're not doing media diet. We're not going to talk about movies we've seen recently. But uh, I saw Licorice Pizza. Okay, and that's enough <laughs> of that. Let's get into it. I Number did. 12. I did. And I'm going to see it again. God damn it. But we're not going to talk about it today. 
Uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of LP to talk about in the future. And gosh darn it, we might even get to some Paul Thomas Anderson talk today. We'll see. Um, but do you want to go over your list so far? If anyone wanted, or do we want to make them listen to the last episode? Um, yeah, I'll give a quick rundown uh, yeah. from 25 to 13. That is Little Women, What We Do in the Shadows, Ash's Purest White, Shoplifters, Steve Jobs, Grand Budapest Hotel, Mayorowitz Stories, Gone Girl, The Square, Okja, The Favorite, Burning, and Holy Motors. Incredible. I mean, there's some amazing... I mean, this might be the case for how strong the 2010s were, is that I don't have any of those movies on my list. (laughs) But um, I'll go... I had my five honorable mentions, which we called 25 to 20, and that was... Um, Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, Skyfall, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive, Interstellar, and uh, Midsommar. So those were my honorable mentions. And then in order, it's funny because I'm reading this. I'm really struggling because I didn't put anything in order. I just wrote down 20 movies, and then <laughs> I, I, I assigned them numbers. So I have to really concentrate here. But it looks like my number 20 was The Place Beyond the Pines. My number 19 was jesus green room my number 18 was my eyes are just darting all over this page right now uh what was it you didn't write my list down Uh yeah man i i I don't know i don't i I honestly don't know what i said my number 18 was (laughs) (laughs) number uh let's skip to number 16 black swan number 15 her uh, number 14, Ex Machina, and number 13, I left it off with It Follows. So definitely some missing in there. That, uh, But, yeah, I kind of improved a lot of it. You know, I, I wanted to kind of be free-flowing. Uh, and your list seems a little more structured than mine. But we're going to have some fun today because I forgot about a movie last time that I have to now jam into my top 12, which means that one of the movies in my top 12 just has to be kicked off the list. <laughs> Wow. You know, I've always called you the Miles Davis of the 2010s. <laughs> what? That's what? I don't understand. Freestyling jazz all over the place. Yeah, yeah, all right. Let's get on up on this list real quick. Um, who wants to kick it off? Number 12? Number 12. Uh, I can start off this time. Go ahead. Number 12 is a movie we've done on the podcast, Trevor. Wow. And it is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. Nice, nice, nice. That was in my honorable, honorable mentions. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, excellent film. If you want to hear our thoughts on it, you can go back and listen to our episode. Highly encourage it. A great score by Johnny G, as mm-hmm. always. Um, and just, like, fantastic direction and great job, Joaquin Phoenix. Best movie that he was in in the 2010s, maybe? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. He had a really, really good 2010s. Johnny Greenwood <laughs> is having a moment right now. Yeah, he's been he's been on top of it because oh yeah because he did Spencer also right yeah he did Spencer uh, he did a uh, Power of the Dog which is playing at the theater right now that I haven't caught yet but I'm really excited about that's Jane Campion's new western starring uh, Doctor Strange uh, and <laughs> and Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons so uh, yeah. you know that's some pedigree right there then he also did uh, the movie that I saw this past weekend called Licorice Pizza okay go ahead with your number thirteen. I'm going to do my number 12, if that's okay with you. And your 12? Pardon me. <laughs> so number 12, right? I wrote down a name of a director, not a movie. <laughs> uh, so, uh, But I'm going to pick a movie by this director. So we've already discussed, I think we've discussed two films by this director already on this list. Do we know the name that I'm looking at right now? Um, yeah, Todd Phillips. <laughs> exactly, yes. The Hangover 3. No. Um, <laughs> It just says number 12, Yorgos. So we've discussed the favorite, 
we've discussed on that, that was on your list not on my list we discussed the killing of a sacred deer which is on my list already so is this gonna be the only director to be on my list twice we're going with the lobster at number 12 um a movie that when it was over i went into the parking lot at the university town center in irvine and there was a couple that was in a fight and the couple just said to each other this is why that stupid rotten tomatoes thing you pay attention to we don't and like and like she's like she was yelling at him so bad or it might have been vice versa it might have been no because if the guy was yelling at the girl that would have been um not funny to me so it must have been <laughs> it must have been the girl yelling at the guy which we all know is uh, not equally as abusive and always funny. Right. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I love this movie. So this was basically like I think this may have been the first Yorgos that I saw. If it, uh, I can't remember if I saw Dogtooth first or not, but uh, awesome performances here. We got uh, our girl Leah Sadu's in this. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't miss with Rachel Vice or Colin Farrell. Um, uh, God, John C. Riley's in this. Ben Wishaw. I mean, all the performances <laughs> are so great. It's. I think if you were gonna show a Yorgos movie to someone, if you're gonna get them into what would be your hors d'oeuvre for yorgos I, I would go to the favorite first the favorite oh so you would start like the most broad then work your way down absolutely um yeah no i i i, I think that this is the one that i would actually say first just because it has the most magical realism and it like sets up this world that is like so yorgos like i feel like it would just be like this is what his movies do if you don't like the lobster then just don't bother with the rest I don't know. I think there's some warm up because I know you and I, even upon revisiting Killing of a Sacred Deer, liked it even more this time. Yeah, I guess Killing of a Sacred Deer might have been the second or third I saw. And yeah, I guess I wasn't quite warmed up to I don't know. I don't know. Rewatchers are a tricky subject to get into. But uh, I think I rewatched this one a couple of times. I think the ending is incredible. Like the last shot of the movie is like so devastating and kind of surprising (laughs) for a movie that's generally pretty silly throughout and you think isn't going to go anywhere or make a point and then it just kind of gut punches you at the end um definitely the favorite it's not the favorite no this one's called the lobster number 12 for me my final yorgos lanthimos film on my list is the favorite so is this the movie that you're shoehorning in here i said the favorite again by the way yeah yeah. (laughs) i mean the lobster it's called the lobster did you initially have the favorite uh, no, I did not. I, I had okay. written down I had Yorgos because I didn't know if I wanted to put the lobster or um, Killing of a Sacred Deer higher. The um, lobster. The lobster, yeah. Oh, that's the that's the movie I didn't say on my list when I was going through just now because I couldn't remember. I didn't say Killing of a Sacred Deer, but yeah, that was on my right. top 20, yeah. So um, Yorgos is just like – just depends on the day, but two movies in my top 20. Uh, none of them make the top 10, but hey, anytime you have a director who makes a list twice, that's a super, super impressive decade. Sure. Um, all right. Uh, number 11 for me. Come on, baby. I know this is going to be on yours. This is Mad Max Fury Road. Mm, I've heard of this movie and I've seen it a few times. Witness me, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I just rewatched this uh, last weekend and it still holds up. It's incredible. I showed it to someone who had never seen a mad max movie before and uh, she was not interested in watching this one she was like oh what is this going to be car chases and then guess what she loved it why because it's awesome because it has a lot of pretty um deep thematics that i don't think you'd expect from this but that's sort of george miller's whole thing you know i uh maybe notoriously love happy feet because again it has well, great rhythm to it, but also a number of incredible themes within it that you don't expect from a movie about dancing penguins. Um, but let's get back to Mad Max here. 
stylistically amazing. I mean, you can't go wrong with this film. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's so perfect and is way above anything that the other Mad Maxes could have created. And they still left a legacy in their own right. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, the Mad Max movies were fairly popular before this one came out, and I know this one made some money, actually, enough to justify this new uh, prequel, which we had a little bit of discourse today. It seems like um, Yahya Abdul-Mahin is no longer going to be in the Anya Taylor-Joy prequel, Furiosa. He has dropped out of the project, which is a bummer, but it's like he can't be in everything that uh, looks cool coming out, I guess, but I really would I would have loved to have seen him in the Mad Max universe. Uh, I really like this film, too. Um, yeah, I think I was mentioning some really great action movies from the 2010s, like Mission Impossible uh, and, and uh, Skyfall. This is this is definitely up there with those movies in terms of action and really well-put-together movies. Um, yeah, that's a good spot for it, just outside of your top 10. That's right. Hit me with your 11. All right. Numero 11 for me is, gosh darn it, I'm just going to say exactly what it is. It's the lighthouse. Uh, we're Whoa. going back to the A24 horror canon. Um, I don't think there's been a movie released in the 2010s more that like so. It's like oh, Robert Eggers is making his follow up to The Witch. I like The Witch. It's not in my top 20. It stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. It's black and white, like one what is it one three three aspect ratio. Um, it's just like, when I hear that, I think, wow, what a movie like made for me, completely made for me. And it was supposed to be horror. It turned out it wasn't really a horror movie. It was just kind of a bad roommate movie, almost like (laughs) mostly just an extremely dark comedy, which is funny because that's actually way more for me than a horror movie is. So I expected to love this movie. I saw it and it ended up being a better version of a movie that I would have thought it would have been. So yeah, I think it's a, a slam dunk. I'm not going to look ahead and see if I have any more A24 movies. I know they're wind, they're winding down here on my list for sure. But as far as output goes in the 2010s, we had mentioned that A24 was kind of the king. I think Neon is now – the queen Neon is now kind of coming up through the ranks and going to uh, usurp A24 eventually. But if, uh, if this was one of the – if this was A24's Waterloo towards the back half of their hot streak – uh, I think it's the. I think it's got to be their best. I don't think I have any more A twenty four on my list. I don't think I do. I think this is a. This is. A, I mean, people call it a horror movie. I, I definitely would just call it a dark comedy. I think it's a, just a darkly comedic masterpiece. I think Robert Pattinson looks so good in this movie with that mustache. He looks like <laughs> freaking Daniel Day Lewis, and there will be blood. Willem Dafoe just a world eating performance. It gave me everything that I wanted from it, uh, and I love when a movie delivers. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really call it a horror movie either, but I love sort of the um, nautical aesthetic that I feel like no other movie outside of Pirates of the Caribbean ever really tackles. Right, yeah, no, totally. Um, I, I, Yeah, if we need more pirate movies. We need more lighthouse movies. Like, this aesthetic is, is awesome. You'd just be like, oh, yeah, they built this little set in Nova Scotia. Uh, and they just it, just, it sounds awesome to make, even though I know it was. I know it was a fucking nightmare, but... It just it just looked so good. It sounded so good. I love like the the idea of like Eggers' script apparently reportedly saying on the first page like this must be in black and white. This must be one three three. It's very exacting, <laughs> but at the same time, then it's like this goofy movie that's like just a lot of fun. And uh, you know you'll watch it with an audience. And I, you know we played it here at the theater like a month and a half after it came out, and it was packed. 
and people knew exactly what the movie was, whether they had seen it or not, and had a ball with it and were laughing throughout. But when I saw it at the Arclight, like the weekend it came out or whatever, there's like dead silence throughout the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, I think this movie is supposed to be really funny. Uh, and it turns out I was right. Um, yeah, great choice. Uh, and I, I love the, did you find yourself talking in like a piratey accent after leaving that movie? No, but like, I mean, cause like who, how could you do it better than like right. Willem Dafoe is so committed to this bit. Cause that's what this movie to me is. It's like just one long bit, like the spoilers for the ending of the movie, but like sort of towards the end, like. There's just a long tracking shot of Robert Pattinson walking out of Willem Dafoe, like, on a leash, like he's a dog. Uh, and it's just, like, this movie is, like, it's made by a dang freak. And I love when movies are made by a dang freak. We talked about this with Last Night in Soho. Like, Edgar Wright wants to make a movie that a dang freak should make, but he's not a dang freak. And that, that's the problem with that movie. But this movie, on the money. All right. Good choice. Uh, all right, Trevor, it's time. The top 10 of the 2010s. Yes, yes, yes. By the way, I have a, a couple of movies. Obviously, uh, we'll talk about it when we clean it up, but I added a couple more honorable, honorable mentions. But mm-hmm. um, here it is, our cemented top 10. Let's get into it. Here we go. Number 10. <clears throat> all right, this you want to take, take that again, or do you want to yeah, <laughs> leave, <laughs> leave that disgusting take in this show? <laughs> uh, here we go. Number 10. Widows. Whoa! Yes! Yeah, baby. Steve McQueen's uh, arguably heist film full of twists and turns written by Gillian Flynn. Yeah, you're a fan. You had Gone Girl on your list. Yeah, I am a fan. Uh, I should probably read her books, but as far as screenplay goes, (laughs) she's incredible. Um, But yeah, I I saw this movie. I saw this movie with uh, friends of the show. Um gabe montemayor and ex tina lopez and uh yeah i think we all came out liking it a lot but i just found it it got me you know a lot of the the twists and turns in here got me i i think steve mcqueen is one of the best in the game right now um and i think he uh nailed it with with his vision for this film yeah i mean by the way those are those might be your friends of the show but they're not my friends of the show (laughs) Uh, and we haven't talked about the Cowboy Bebop remake, by the way. But, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, solid, solid start to your top ten. That wasn't even on – that. so 2018 was a great year for movies. Like Mandy, Widows, um, Annihilation, great movies came out that year. Uh, but, man, that was a movie that, like, I feel like people really slept on, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I love that in your top ten. I love that in your top ten. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a great – like I said, I don't know if it's a genre film, but it just overall a great thriller solid wall-to-wall great performances by pretty much everybody in that and we get a a little daniel kaluuya also in there which is always a delight so good this is one of those performances when where he's not on screen you're like hey where's daniel kaluuya right now i'd love if his his energy would come back onto the screen yeah but you could expect that because again steve mcqueen knows how to get those performances you know he's always on top of it and uh it's just cool to see that's his last movie that he made before the small axe series um, but obviously, I'm super excited for whatever he's going to do next. I know you're a fan of his uh, music videos. Yeah, of course. I love Steve McQueen's music videos. But I, I am sensing a trend that you like, like a David Fincher movie or a Steve McQueen movie, these very exacting directors, but written by like a Gillian Flynn, like page turner type, not trashy novels, but like some people could see it as that, I guess. Um, 
Did you like Sharp Objects or did you watch Sharp Objects? No, I didn't see it. Yeah, that's a Gillian Flynn joint. You gotta wa- right. gotta watch that. Yeah, I might check that out. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. It's almost like a, well, because Widows I think is based on like a soap opera kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I just I I'm with you in really loving this movie. I just didn't have the 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 guts to put it in my top twenty five <laughs> because I've only seen it once and I had a really great movie theater experience with it. But I really would like to watch it again. I gotta I gotta pop that Blu-ray in here one of these nights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't I don't own it on Blu-ray, but I should. Oh. Yeah, I own it on Blu-ray because uh, it's on my top ten. Yeah, send that over. Send that over. Uh, <laughs> just like uh, we'll we'll switch. I'll give you your La, La Dolce Vita back, and you can have that. <laughs> yeah. All right. That sounds good. Uh, hit uh, me with your number ten. My number ten was uh, a certain movie that's been bumped off the list now uh, after I rewatched it recently. Uh, can oh. I say? Uh, can I say that movie? Yeah. So there's a movie I love. Uh, it's an A24 movie. It's called <laughs> It's called Under the Skin. Uh, it's Jonathan oh, okay. Glazer, and I think it's really, really a great movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's – I do, I do. But it's not my type of movie. You know what I mean? Like I know some people who would have that in their top five of the decade, and it's like I get it. It's totally amazing. But I'd be lying to you. This is the difference between what we were talking about between our favorite 25 films of the 2010s and the best 25 films of the 2010s. So when I relooked at my list, I was like the one that stands out to me is not one of my actual favorites is Under the Skin. But I think it's a total masterpiece. But uh, I'm, I'm calling an audible here, and I'm going to sub in a movie that I totally had forgot came out in the 2010s. And I am a fool. Speaking of Licorice Pizza, it is the film Paul Thomas Anderson made before Licorice Pizza. Hmm. That would be Phantom Thread in my top 10 of the 2010s. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, cue the Johnny Greenwood score at the, that plays throughout. I mean, yeah, no, you said it. Beautiful, beautiful movie. And we're talking about directors who are dang freaks. And I love it. And there's some discourse out right now uh, regarding this film that I saw this past weekend called Licorice Pizza. And it's that Paul Thomas Anderson is he's a bit of a freak. And I yeah. love when people, like, learn this. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm watching this not uh, impeccably made, impeccably shot, scored, everything, acted. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis just kind of taking it down a notch and just giving us an extremely good performance. Uh, Vicky Cribes, who I'd never seen before, uh, knocking it out of the park on her first go, at least for me. Um, movie, and it just feels very stuffy. And I'm like, what? This doesn't feel very PTA to me, but it's very, very good. And then you get to the revelation of what the film is actually about. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you nasty little freak, PTA. You, <laughs> I love it. It's like this like movie masquerading around as what people see in the trailer or the poster. And is secretly just this, I don't know, awesome movie about the dynamics between the, the, the genius and his muse and the, the power dynamics there that we saw a lot in The Master. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just was like, I love this movie, man. I, I love, I love Phantom Thread. I opened up my year. I woke up on January 1st of 2021 and I was like, I'm watching Phantom Thread right now. And we sat down in Big Bear and we watched Phantom Thread. So, uh, now awesome. playing, it's now playing at the Freedom Cinema. It's playing tonight for four nights. So you can come here and you can watch it on the big screen. And I just might. That is very tempting. Um, yeah, excellent. I let yeah. It's it's so weird because that movie in itself, when you go to see it you, for the first time, you you don't realize the structure of the film. It's almost right. like its own thing, um, but it is fantastic. It's beautifully shot by PTA himself, which is pretty incredible. 
Yeah, yeah. There's some uh, there's some controversy regarding that. Uh, not like the Roma controversy where it was like Alfonso Cuarón took like DP credit on on Roma, but apparently there had been a DP that was working on it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he shot it himself, and I don't know why he did that. I mean, I know the new movie uh, Licorice Pizza. He actually shares director of photography credit with another DP. Uh, so I guess just going forward, he wants to just be the guy who is lighting and shooting his movies and then all right cool i know i know some cinematographers who absolutely hate that idea that a a guy who's been directing movies for 25 years all of a sudden wants to be a dp but um yeah i mean the movie looks incredible those shots Mm -hmm. of them driving and there's a shot where i think they're in the swiss alps that it cuts to behind daniel day lewis and he's looking up at the mountain that to this day i cannot tell if it's like a matte painting or a real shot because it's that beautiful yeah, I think about that shot a lot. And then obviously the uh, the sort of um, kismet shot of them on New Year's Eve dancing, Ugh. Ugh. the balloons falling and everything. Incredible. The new Bev is playing it on, on um, New Year's Eve, and I'm like, oh, perfect. So I watch it on New Year's Day, but it's a perfect New Year's Eve movie. I disagree. Nice. I think it's a perfect New Year's Day movie to wake up and uh, not have confrontation in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I feel like that's one of those few movies that watching during the day is probably very pleasant. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it, it is, it is, just to kind of start your day with Phantom Thread. <laughs> all right, great choice, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, all right, let's get, let's continue here. My number nine is a movie that Trevor, that I, I purchased yesterday on 4K. Uh, it is one Uncut Gems. Whoa, that's your number nine? That's my number nine. Wow, that's in your top 25 of the decade? Yeah, absolutely. All I, right. I th- that movie, I think, is, it's still, it's weird. Even even now, buying it, it feels a little bit wrong. And when I went to go see it for the first time, it felt like, it reminded me of maybe when I was like younger, you know, and you're watching something that you know you shouldn't be watching. It, it feels a little bit scary because you don't know. It, it's almost that same feeling of, seeing uh like a scary vhs cover at the uh blockbusters <laughs> but throughout the whole movie you know? so you bought you bought the criterion then yeah yeah yeah, I got the yeah. New release 4k it's beautiful um Damn. yeah i highly recommend if you're into collecting that because the uh the booklet itself in there is really cool um, yeah shout out darius kanji by the way on the uh the cinematography for uncut gems is like Oh, the lens flares. Oh, it looks so damn good. The movie, it does. I, yeah. I got to buy that Criterion. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you better do it soon because the uh, sale's about to end. <laughs> okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that movie uh, is, is also kind of a unique structure in itself. You don't really know where it's going the whole time. But incredible job again by Adam Sandler, who, who knows how to bring it. Super frustrating movie. I don't think there's a more stressful movie in the 2010s that came out. Um, with an ending that's surprising, uh, that some say maybe uh, leaves more to be desired, but has to have happened in that exact way. And just yeah. uh, really exciting. Especially, oh man, I mean, just going into the third act, too, of, of understanding that the movie might end and then there's a decision that's made. Yes, yes. Really, really tight, great filmmaking. I love yeah, there's a, like a fourth act to this movie that's it's <laughs> yeah. just like you want to stand up and cheer. Uh, like, <laughs> Basically, when he says the line, like, I, which I say all the time now, where he says, like, let's make some money on this shit. Let's bet on this shit. And you're like, no. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, so when you say great job again, you were very, you put a very emphatic again. You said great job again by Adam Sandler. What, uh, 
What were you basing that off of? I'm talking about Hubie Halloween. That's what I thought. A movie that came out after uh, Uncut yeah. Gems. Um, no, Mayor Witt's stories. I thought he, he nailed a movie right, that I had on right. my list. Yeah, no, uh, he can be very good when he's deployed uh, well. And I don't mean to turn this into a PT episode, but obviously, um, you know, uh, Punch Drunk Love is one of my favorite movies ever. So same. Um, I love I love when he's deployed well. I thought that I felt the same about like Robin Williams. You know, when those guys are used the correct way, they can be really, really great and very effective. Um, the magic sauce between. Yeah, but the ending is very necessary. I agree with you because the magic sauce about Uncut Gems is that it's very reminiscent of some of these. 70s gambling movies or these kind of hard-nosed New York-based movies, which this movie is very much uh, mm-hmm. cut from that cloth, where these guys go on the, these up and up and downs and, you know, they kind of just keep messing around and messing around and then there's no finality to what happens to them at the end. They either lose all their money or they win it big or whatever. But, like, this movie has such finality to it and it's so... There will be no sequel to Uncut Gems. Like there will. Uh, by the way, I think this is the biggest A twenty four movie ever made. I think it, I think it's this Lady Bird, and I can't remember the third one, but I think this is still the highest grossing A twenty four movie. That sounds about right. I, I know this one was extremely popular. Yeah, I mean, a, the highest grossing A twenty four movie is still like, you know, oh, oh, Hereditary would be the other one. That's the third right, one. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it's still like you know sixty million domestic. It's like not very big, but um. That's cool. I'm glad that made your top 25. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I can't believe we haven't hit a crossover yet. But uh, go Well, ahead. Adam, we have. Because oh. my number nine is Uncut Gems. Yeah, baby. That is crazy. I looked let's down at my list and it this. says, yeah, let's bet on this. So that's number one. We've had one crossover. Uh, this list might get real spicy very quickly. Uh, I mean, what am I going to continue talking about this movie? No, it's incredible. The Safdies <laughs> yeah. are incredible. Like, to, to, I mean, they've made so many movies that a lot of people think this is their second movie. But I, I think it's because it's their second, like, really perfectly honed in. Like, it's not mainstream in any way. I showed it to my parents because I was like, I think my dad might like this movie. And they were watching it. And the, it's the type of movie where they were, like, super tense the whole time, like, super worried. And then it ended. They were like, ah, I didn't like that. I go... I think you did, but you don't know what, like, liking a movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think you were invested and you enjoyed the ride, <laughs> but maybe you didn't like the destination or maybe, I don't know. The, what's the saying? That the trip is worth more than the destination or whatever. The, I think both are equally great in this movie. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's a that's, not only is that an interesting crossover, but it's the same exact number, number yeah. nine. It felt really good, like, right inside the top ten. Right, yeah, and uh, yeah, get, go get that 4K Blu-ray. Absolutely. All right, let's go to number eight. Let's see if we have the same number eight. Uh, <laughs> we, honest to God, we could. We could because it is Parasite. Whoa, that's really interesting. That's very interesting. Parasite, not my top 25. Whoa, okay. Yeah, um, yeah this is my second Bong Joon-ho up here on the list, um, obviously above Okja. Uh, I mean, this was a whirlwind. This was a phenomenon. You know, this is a big event that happened across the world. The, the last great thing that happened before quarantine. Um, and I think it's just sort of, a, in many ways, a perfect film. I got to see it the first time with Bong in person and the mm-hmm. actress who plays uh, Jessica. Or, or yeah, Jessica Only Child, Illinois, Chicago. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think, uh, you know, as far it's very Hitchcockian. In a lot of ways, so much so that you actually Wait, see... Wait, sorry, sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. What? 
Hitchcockian? I know what you said, but I, wow, I never drew that line. Hitchcockian. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I felt that way, like, in, in the way that it kind of devolves with this character is where we kind of see the seediness of it, where it's, um, there's deception at first, but then it gets even darker. Mm. Um, and I, I think, I think I'm, I think I'm in the correct wavelength there because at one point you see Alfred Hitchcock's face in the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I just, I'd never, never put that together. The Parasite feels to me like a movie that I love Bong and he's not on my top 25, but I really, I really do love his movies and I can't wait to see what he does next. I know this is like working on an animated thing and I'm like, no, don't do that. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you're probably freaking out, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so it just it just felt like a, a genre mash of so many different things, but uh, kind of like some of the best movies we've been talking about on this list, kind of just transforming as it goes. Like, oh, it's a drama. Oh uh, no, now it's a horror movie. Oh uh, no, now it's a you know it's like different different things throughout. So, mm-hmm. um, imagine my feeling when I I know that Neon actually made this movie. They didn't pick it up. They actually produced it and put some money into it, which to to huge huge returns, um, money wise and also just straight up at winning best picture at the Oscars. But, um, yeah, I, when I heard that he was making a movie called Parasite, I was like, oh, he's like this is like oh this is a horror movie. It's definitely I'm like is it going to be a body horror movie? And then learning that it's not that at all, and why it's called Parasite. I don't know. Yeah, this is this movie is is this like one of the most crowd pleasing movies you've ever seen? I don't know. It's funny because I think maybe just in the sense that people really take away what they want to from the film. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've heard both sides of the like capitalist aisle yeah yeah, yeah both yeah. really enjoy this movie for you know which is interesting the same thing is happening to, uh, for squid game where like all these rich people are having like squid game themed halloween parties and you're like oh you didn't get it you didn't understand it at all <laughs> um yeah yeah no I, I get what you mean um but i mean you know what's really high on that list for me too is widows i mean bo- both of these movies are movies i saw and the audience was I know the Frida Cinema audience, again, another movie we put like two months after it came out, and it still was a huge hit for us, mm-hmm. um, was there? there's a scene in the movie where they kind of do the montage of them setting everything up and paying it off where he picks up at the end the, uh, the quote-unquote bloody napkin, mm-hmm. um, and he shows it to the, to the wife, and she, I think she faints, but then it just cuts to black there for a moment, and it's literally an applause break. Like People are like <laughs> clapping, like, I love this movie so much. This is so fun. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's what I was actually saying is it transforms into like a little heist movie there for a little. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't mean to talk about your pick, especially because it's not on my list. But uh, yeah, it's, no, no, uh, please. Totally. Uh-huh. I mean, and that was one of the last great moments we had. I mean, it's always like forget the Oscars. Who cares about the Oscars? But it is very satisfying to see a movie like that win Best Picture at the Oscars. Absolutely. Yeah, it was just a thrilling time and a great time to be a – Bong Joon-ho fan, because I was, you know, coming hot off Okja. I've seen a handful of his movies before that in 2017 or so, and I was just like, I had heard that he had a new movie coming out, and then it wins the Palme d'Or, and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I can't wait to see this movie. And then it just kept snowballing from there. That's right. We're on a hot streak with the Palmer right now. They need to keep it going, but yeah. um, I still need to see The Square, which was on your list, but yeah. um, well, my number... Your... Oh, yeah. oh. My number eight is a very interesting parallel to the film you just said because not director bong but director park uh and it is a film we have discussed on this uh this show 
the handmaiden at number eight mm-hmm. uh, of my 2010s that came out mm-hmm. of the 2010s right yeah yeah uh this is a great movie and we have an entire episode on it with the 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 great kevin cookman um again just made by a dang freak park chan wook <laughs> um you know what i'm really sick you put out stoker what else did park chan wook put out in the 2010s does did he put out movies uh what was that vampire one yeah thirst? stoker yeah oh i don't i think thirst came out like 2009 or 8 or something but has he not been working anyway um he should work more and we should get more movies from him because if they're like the handmaiden we want more of them i don't really have much to say about this movie um it just it's like impeccably made it's 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 like parasite it's just longer way longer and it's a period piece but I mean, it's like Parasite in a way of it's a it's a huge crowd pleaser in a weird way. It's a little more obscure with some of the the longer sex scenes and stuff. But it it, it transforms. It continues to transform throughout. And I really love that. I love the genre mash that these uh, Korean directors are doing all the time. Where it's like this one also turns into a heist movie a little bit. It has like a little ghost movie every once in a while. It's a romance. It's a it's a horror movie sometimes, like the giant squid. It it's just got everything, and I I think that. If someone was going to try to get into, like, let's say Korean cinema, you'd have to show them, like, Parasite first. But not too far after, I think The Handmaiden needs to be uh, revealed. Because it's, I think throughout, it's it's consistently very entertaining. One of the very few movies that I thought about just not watching because it was a period piece. But then I was like, no, it's Park Chan-wook. I should watch it. And then I'm watching it. I'm like... This rascal has so many tricks up his sleeve, and I need same with Phantom Thread. I almost I, not that I wasn't gonna see Phantom Thread, but I wasn't driving up to Westwood to see it opening weekend in seventy millimeter. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I waited and saw that at like a strip mall in Anaheim. You know, and when I, after I watched it, I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, of course these directors aren't gonna just make bo- they're not Ridley Scott. They're not gonna just go make like a boring movie. These are these are the the authors of their films. You know what I mean? Their their yeah. their stamp is going on this movie. Uh, this is a Park Chan-wook picture, you know, and uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Maybe if you got off your phone once in a while, you wouldn't think they were so boring. <laughs> Sorry, but the Ridley Scott movies do tend to be boring. I am on a Ridley <laughs> Scott apology tour right now. Um, I just watched The Counselor last night for the first time. Big mistake. Nope. Fascinating movie. Absolutely fascinating movie. Right. And then I revisited uh, American Gangster, which I thought was super boring the first time I saw it. And I was like, no, this movie was like pretty good. And Denzel and Russell Crowe are great in it. So. Number eight, uh, The Handmaiden. Yeah, great choice. I think uh, I saw this in theaters over in Irvine uh, and was completely blown away by a movie having such a realized theme that it touched on. And then when we revisited it again, um, I was again blown away. I think uh, just everything about it, you said it does a lot of things sort of genre-wise, and I think it does all of them perfectly. Yeah, no, that's what I'm – it's like this and Parasite are both these directors being like, I'm going to make a movie that's like three or four different genres and I'm going to be good at all of them. You know, it's yeah, like, like yeah. how many directors could, could do that? Yeah. So excellent. Um, yeah. Great choice. And I guess I'll go to my number seven. Mm-hmm. Here we go, baby. This is my uh, second Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher movie. Oh, Jesus. The Social Network. All right. That's a good number for that. Number seven. Yeah. Yeah. Brenda Song made it onto my top ten. yeah hell yeah (laughs) um yeah i mean i don't know this is i I don't want to keep saying like that all these movies are just made extremely well by the time you get to this point (laughs) yeah i mean the top 10 movies of last decade are all pretty well made yeah um but 
This is sort of a, an epic, a saga of a very unlikable hero um, who's gotten even more unlikable as the, mo the years have gone on past the film. Um, but I just think that the way that sort of this is a grand new lens of something, the creation of something new where, you know, maybe you could argue something like Citizen Kane um, or like, uh, I don't know, just anything about exploitating like a whole new business. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time that we actually got into like a modern thing. And I don't think we're going to get into a movie about, you know, TikTok or Vine or Instagram because it doesn't really have a legacy to it. Whereas they found one in the social network. And it's um, incredible, I think, the way that all these things kind of, all these characters merge themselves into trying to get a hold of what is originally like a very scummy idea for a website and has <laughs> blossomed into like this multi-million dollar thing. Billion Run dollar, sir. Billion, yeah. You know what's, what's cooler than, than a million? Yeah, 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 right, all right. <laughs> Um, yeah, with some great lines in there. Um, I don't know. It's just a gripping film. I think if you start watching it, you can't stop watching it. This is your second feature, and your yeah, you're right, and your second Sorkin. Interesting, very interesting. Mm -hmm. You have a, you definitely have a a type. That's for sure. A talky, <laughs> a talky movie. Yeah, this was like the the teaser trailer came out for this one, and it was um, Radiohead's Creep. Playing. Yeah, you, oh, such a good teaser trailer. That's when I was like, oh, oh, because we'd all, I mean, even in the early stages of like finding out about a movie through like IGN or whatever, uh, you were like, <laughs> oh, David Fincher's making a Facebook movie and being like, why is he wasting his time doing that? Right. And, then the, and then the trailer comes out and you're like, oh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score. Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Like, and you're just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll be their opening night with a. A shockingly rowdy crowd that I saw that movie with. Interesting. Yeah. I guess these are all kind of uh, movies that I've seen in the theater that had kind of big reactions to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but my number seven, Adam, mm -hmm. is a movie that I didn't see in a theater uh, and is the movie I told you on my list that is, the, I think, the only one I have never seen in a theater, even though it played here at the, uh, the old Frida Cinema back in July. I booked it. Um, my favorite movie that I discovered during the pandemic, I, I, I remember very distinctly watching it and falling in love with it immediately. Uh, when it came out, I believe in 2016, uh, people kept being like, you got to see blah, blah, blah. You got to see blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. Like, it got a very, very, very small release. Um, it looked kind of boring. The poster's kind of boring. <laughs> uh, do you know what movie I'm talking about? I absolutely do. Okay, yeah. It's uh, Kaganata's Columbus. <laughs> Uh, which I love, Haley Lou Richardson, uh, John Cho, John Cho, sorry, yeah, Spike Spiegel, yeah, of course from uh, Cowboy Bebop, the movie or the show, <laughs> not the movie, sorry, the movie is the masterpiece we watched on this, uh, and then uh, Parker Posey, who I really, really like, literally in everything she's in, mm -hmm. like I, I think she's great. Um, the movie is, it's it's a it's just like the most. It's the movie I like go to. People are like, what's like a newer movie that you really love that like you feel like people haven't seen? And it did okay when we put it here on the big screen, but it didn't do like well enough. Like I'm like, there's just no motivation for some reason for people to go out and see this movie. It doesn't have the A24 sheen on it. Mm -hmm. It came from Oscilloscope, which is a very small studio. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of I think it's like the, I think it's like the Lost in Translation of the 2010s. Really, is the what I, the biggest thing I could draw to it, but it doesn't have the sexy 
name on there, the Sofia Coppola or the Scarlett Johansson or the Bill Murray. It's just like there's just two really great actors acting. The cinematography is like so beautiful and, and the direction is very pointed. Uh, the direction, I don't think I've ever seen something as heavy handed that actually worked out well uh, as the idea of a movie where they talk about architecture a lot and the movie is shot and the characters are blocked as if they are buildings <laughs> and like everything is just so formalist and you can tell Kaganata is a huge fan of like Ozu and all, all of his influences are here and I just can't wait even though it's on your can team I can't wait for after Yang I can't wait for more movies with uh Haley Lou Richardson in them first of all that are directed by Kaganata really uh just a, a filmmaker who I love when like also an artist is just like yeah I'll make a film every once in a while you know like a Tom Ford or something who I'm <clears throat> I'm calling an artist but uh Columbus love Columbus if you haven't seen Columbus see it yeah I agree you're the one who showed me that film and I hate that you showed it to me because it was one of the most depressing things I've ever seen um and became a great movie and one of my favorites for sure awesome um it's not on my list but uh I also recommend you see it and uh, we're running the... out of we're running out of time for crossover here I we know, have one yeah, crossover I'm... uncut gems i'm starting to get worried here and <laughs> i know there's one movie that's going to be in your list coming up that's not in mine so oh no and i'm pretty much sh- certain that my next film is not going to be on your list um and that is my number six francis ha <laughs> yeah that is not on my list <laughs> Um, this is, again, my second um, Bombach film. Uh, this may be my... This is kind of my second Greta Gerwig film, in right. a way. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think this movie is a really sort of unique take on a coming-of-age film, because that is essentially what it is, but sort of the space in between becoming like a young adult to an adult, you know, sort of losing that maybe like younger sensibility of stumbling through the world and then finding your place in it you know what it's going to be for the next decade of your life as you get older and realize you have to like solidify something um and i really like the way because it doesn't do that in such like a dramatic fashion you know it does it a lot more casually which i think is how those things sort of happen um and i just love the performance here by greta gerwig i think it's amazing there's one scene that i always go back to where um she's invited to this sort of dinner with all these you know older adults um friends of her friend and they're all talking about something and she's like can't relate at all because she (laughs) is still again too young at heart um and then you see her face like light up because she realizes she has something to talk about and she brings it up and they all go oh you know they talk about it and i just love that authenticity you know like i've definitely been in that position too where i'm like oh i know this crowd this is something i'm gonna bring up um, this was also my first, I saw this movie in theaters um, at a Lemley, um, I think, or maybe not, but it was definitely an independent sort of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was my first foray into Adam Driver as yeah. Lev, I think, him and Benji and Lev, the two roommates. Um, and I fell in love with him right away. And it was really cool to see, like, my cousin and I, I went to go see this with my cousin, and uh, we kind of referred to ourselves as Benji and Lev for a while afterwards. And it was cool to see Adam Driver become more and more famous after that and be like, whoa, this guy's going to be in Star Wars? That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird to watch the like the girls to the while we're young. Like, yeah, some of the early bomb box stuff where you're like, this guy's pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
and, uh, but yeah, in, I, I, and now he's I, in literally every movie that's released <laughs> Uh, that's essentially it um yeah i just love francis ha i recommend you see it it's in black and white um for some reason but hey it works yeah i like this is probably the the movie that out of the 25 movies you've listed i probably like the least wow but i haven't revisited it since i saw it uh and in the theater and uh i wasn't like I remember being very anxious going into the movie. I don't know why. It was just obviously, like, what is? It? I saw this stupid tweet the other day. I was like, "What even is anxiety, dude? You're sitting there like, uh, like, uh." And then I was like, <laughs> "I guess I have like five hundred thousand likes." And I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I gotta revisit this. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, on both Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. Not Greta Gerwig as a, as a director. She's great, but. Um, I'll revisit it just and, because you put it in your top 25. And it's, like, short, right? It's, like, 85 minutes probably. Yeah, it's very tight. And as an actor, she's amazing. I'm sorry, she, but especially she, in this movie, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's she's good. She's good. I like her as an actor, definitely. I love the reveal of the end of Francis Ha, like, why it's yeah. called that. I remember being <laughs> like, hey, that's cool. What a, what a, what a payoff for that movie. Um, that was your number six, right? Yeah. See, we're, we're getting into... I'm starting to lose faith here. <laughs> yeah. So my number six, I had mentioned earlier that 2018 was a very strong year. Uh, Widows came out that year. Mandy came out that year. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Annihilation came out that year. But my number six is Cold War. I, I'm waiting for you to hit Annihilation. <laughs> what? No, what? no, number six is Cold War. Is Annihilation on your list? I can't say if Annihilation's on my list. Why would I say that? All right. Well, Cold War. Wow. Great choice. I didn't have that on my list, but go You ahead. don't have Cold War on your list? Oh, my gosh. Wow. I thought you may. We may have had something here. But, uh, of course, director uh, Paul Pawlkowski, uh, who got to, who got nominated for Best Director for this, which is kind of a crazy uh, nomination for like a very small movie, of course, distributed by Amazon. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw this at the Lemley um damn what's the one next to the new york the new art uh it's a really interesting one they like i think they only play uh foreign films it's kind of dug in into that neighborhood but uh 89 minutes long this is when you said la la land is on the list i said well i have my la la land on the list because <laughs> this movie really re- reminded me of la la land it just it obviously takes place in the 50s it's black and white just like your francis ha um, just really, really great performances. The lead here, uh, Joanna Kulig, is so, so, so good. And she was uh, she had actually done a Q&A at the screening before the screening I went to. But I had just hopped into Cold War like, oh, I'm just going to go see this movie. And, man, I loved it. I really, really loved it. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about it because it's possible people listening to this haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's probably streaming. Yeah, it's streaming on Prime Video right now because uh, Amazon is the thing that, dis- that distributed it. Um, it's a new movie, everyone. Don't worry. It doesn't take. It's, it takes place in the '50s, but it's not from the '50s. That wouldn't make sense for my top tw- twenty of the 2010s. Uh, check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Great performances. It's not a musical like La La Land, but sometimes it feels like a musical. Like mm-hmm. it, like and they could just like bust out in a song. I mean, I know there's scenes of her singing and dancing and stuff like that. It's really really beautiful. I think it also has that one three three aspect ratio that the Lighthouse had. So uh, it's not artsy for art's sake. And I know he made a movie called Ida, which I thought was kind of boring so i was a little trepidatious to see this and this movie's not boring at all and even if you do think it's boring like i said 89 minutes right down the middle slam dunk cold war number six let's hear your top five excellent choice yeah i uh need to revisit that also because i remember liking it a lot seeing it in theaters as well um but hearing that gets me excited to see it again yeah all right number five uh, 
You hear that? <laughs> what was that song? noise? <laughs> no, I don't. What is it? Because it's Django. For real? That's right. Oh my God! You're number five in the 2010s. Is Django Unchained? That's Django cool. Unchained. What Yeesh. an exciting film to have exist. I still th- get super excited every time I put on this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a great adventure. I think it's full of wonderful moments. A great villain. Maybe my favorite Leo performance of all time. God, dude, we we straight up disagree. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, I like this movie, but like the things you're saying about it, nah. Yeah. Well, I'll let I'll let you. Uh, we, we can we can debate a little bit here, uh, but go ahead. Tell me why you wow. love it and why I it's think it's great. Top five. I, I think it's great storytelling. I think this is Tarantino at the top of his game as a director because the performances in here are, I mean, the acting. If if you had to say, give me a movie with the best act, you know, the perfect acting by an ensemble, I would straight up say Django Unchained without flinching. Um, yeah, and I had said that about Ex Machina. Sure. And, about like um, the perfect casting for every role, and then them delivering every single role. Yeah. Okay. Uh, enjoy your uh, <laughs> your white people roles. Um, oh God. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I don't know, Django, I mean, it, and it, there's so much to it. It feels like an epic in a lot of ways, more so than sort of the roadshow version of The Hateful Eight. Um, and I, I am appalled to hear that you disagree. I mean, I I think Leo, I, I think Leo is oftentimes not believable in roles, and I just did not buy him in this film at all. I think Christoph no. Waltz is, I think Christoph Waltz is great. Yes. I think Jamie Foxx is hit or miss. Uh, and I think Sam Jackson is like literally one of his best performances. Wow. No, I think I think Leo nailed it here. I, I loved him as sort of a villain here because he never does that. You know, he always plays like, I don't know, some Martin Scorsese hero or anti-hero. But this is yeah, just straight up villain. Does like this Django Unchained is the first movie since Titanic that he didn't uh, have top billing. Like he like was able to actually play a supporting character. So I get what you mean. Like that's cool that Leo DiCaprio was finally like, yeah, I'll take like third billing in a movie and I'll just act. Yeah. Which is sweet. You know, it's so outside of his usual character. And I liked that. And, but I think all the performances, I think I don't, I don't like um, Jamie Foxx that much, but I still think that he did a great job here. Um, but there's a lot of care put into this film. You could see that down to straight up how the beer is poured and tapped off. Um, I think Tarantino loved making this film. I think he really hit his own nail on the head, you know? And uh, I don't know. It's just such a great time of a movie. I remember bringing someone to go see it at the New Bev, and it was their first time. It was on my birthday. Oh, um, you've seen this at the New Bev already? Was that midnight? No, it was, it was like uh, just a regular day type of oh. movie. I was just going to say, we should go see it at midnight one of these nights because – like I want, I want to revisit it, and I want to be wrong. You know what I mean? I want to, yeah. I want to like it. I want to share that enthusiasm with you. I, th- I think it literally plays there this Friday night. But anyways, well, I'm I happy to go see it again, um, for sure, because uh, I love that film. But the, but the person I took to it, I didn't know if they'd be into it. Um, but uh, it was their first time, and at one point, there's a camera shot. You know, it's when uh, he's hanging out with the uh, darn it. I want to come up with the name, the. Uh, the brothers he finds on the farm, you know, when he first becomes the sort of uh, bounty hunter. Okay. I, I know what you're talking about, where he goes yeah. down and to, to kill all three of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, darn, yeah. I know their name. But um, when uh, he, he, like, stands his ground and says, no, let me take that back. I don't want to use that. 
when he uh, appears to save the uh, woman. I don't know. Let me take this back. All right. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to edit this episode. <laughs> we were doing so well. <laughs> when Django first like appears as a hero, you know, and there's that shot of him under the tree and the camera zooms up and he's like, you know, I, I forgot what he says. It's something better than why don't you pick on someone your own size? Yeah. But uh, the person I was with literally grabbed my arm because she was so excited. Um, oh, that, was like, it's fun. It's a fun yeah. fantasy revenge movie that we didn't talk about when we were talking about revenge movies. I like Django Unchained. Don't get me wrong, but top five of the decade is crazy. It's Absolutely. Crazy. Because every time, every time I put it on, it, it my whole body gets kind of tingly. Like I know I'm in for a good time, you know? Yeah, for like two hours and 45 minutes. This movie yeah. is the perfect example of like Uncut Gems has a fourth act. This movie has a fourth act, and it's the mm-hmm. worst act of the movie. And that's why I think the movie just kind of comes to a, a screeching halt, and then everything is just downhill action from there. And I, I, I don't know. It just no, – I totally no. – Adam, this movie is an, a 7 or an 8 out of 10. I like the movie. <laughs> I'm not trying to hate too much on it. I'm just – I have my little uh, – I threw it on for my dogs the other day when I was leaving the house. <laughs> and they, they needed something to watch, and I threw it on. And, yeah, that like that Django, like the music is fun. It's probably his worst because he, he brings too much contemporary music into it. Like the Rick Ross song is a little jarring and stuff like that. And Yeah, there's just – it's an ugly movie. It's an ugly, ugly movie. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, of course his career was all leading to Django Unchained, which is the funny part about it. But uh, it's not his worst movie. It's not his worst movie. Uh, I can't believe that. I think, I think that the that that last act is so good because we finally earned it because it wants to get to that point, and not only is it just like it's not. I don't think it's mindless action, but it's finally the sort of just hard hitting train revenge that we've been waiting for, and yeah. it's still clever. You know, like I count six shots, I yeah. count two guns. Woo! And when he shoots that woman and she flies into the next Yeah, room, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's very, it's very But that that's not the fourth act I'm talking about. That happens at the at the end of the third act and then a fourth act begins. What what are you talking about? We'll talk about it another time. But you you're talking about the big shootout in the candy ranch. No, no, no. That happens afterwards. Oh, got it, got it. Got it. That's at the very I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Tarantino and the Australian accent. Yeah, all that stuff afterwards. Yeah, I'm not, I don't love it. I don't love it. Uh, it's it's fine. Okay. Yeah. So parts of your movie are fine. That's in your top five. No, no, I love it anyway. But <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, we're not gonna have crossover there. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's hear your number five. Well, Adam, my number five, uh, slightly less controversial than Django Unchained, but um, it's a movie. And so you had Francis Ha on your list, which is really cool. Well, I have Annie High on my list. Oh, See, that's first, right. What? 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 At first, I thought because your name in our our chat here is Annie High, and I thought you were making some Annie Hall joke ready to get canceled. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, my number five is the second Alex Garland film in my top twenty. This is Annie Highlation, starring Natalie Portman from twenty eighteen. Um, a movie that I'm truly obsessed with. Like I saw it in a movie theater, and it's like the first movie in a while that's really blown my mind. Um, did, do you have you seen this movie? Yeah, I saw it in theaters also. Uh, do you remember the score for the movie? Uh, yeah, I do. Specifically, uh, without spoiling it, when there's some kind of man. Yes. So exactly. Yeah. So it has this really cool motif that just it just feels like 
so mind-bending and world-bending, like the scene in The Matrix when uh, Keanu uh, becomes the one, spoilers to The Matrix, and he flexes and the hallway bends, but uh, it's so good. Right. Uh, and so is Annihilation. Um, just the perfect mix between just high-concept science fiction, hard science fiction, super violent, um, all-lady cast. I love it. Natalie Portman shooting a machine gun just does something to me. I love it. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is awesome in this. I was going to say Gina Carano, but Gina Carano's not in this movie. Um, oh gosh, who's who's that actress? Gina who I Rodriguez. Yeah, Gina Rodriguez. I was going to say from Kajillionaire. She's really good in Gina, Gina, Kajillionaire. Um, Tessa Thompson. She, yeah. Do, do you think Gina Rodriguez is good in my short film? Uh, yeah. I, I, you mean the commercial? It's not a commercial. I mean, it feels like a commercial. I, I actually, <laughs> that's the one thing I have seen is, is that from your work. <laughs> yeah, you got hired by it was for Apple, right? Uh, Google. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, well, this guy's a sellout. Anyways, I don't work with Tim Apple. <laughs> Alex Garland having two movies in my top twenty, uh, and having them be like the only movies he's directed so far is just super, super impressive. After a, a long career of writing movies for Danny Boyle, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there are rumors that Alex Garland directed quite a bit of the movie Dread. Have you seen Dread? uh yeah dread 3d yeah with carl urban he uh apparently stepped in quite a bit on that movie and uh directed that which is also a pretty good movie wouldn't make my top 25 but what else yeah. is there to say about annihilation uh like i said love the score love the performances love the actors love how hard the science fiction is love that there's like some of the scariest creature feature stuff in the movie and that's just like scratching the surface of just how how warped this how twisted this movie is if anyone is listening to this hasn't seen annihilation and it bombed they didn't know what to do with it like it came out and it went straight to netflix in europe and they just kind of threw it paramount through it just like they did with mother with uh, darren aronofsky's mother which will not be making an appearance on my uh, top 20 in the 2010s um paramount just didn't really know what to do with it and kind of just tossed it in the theaters and it bombed really badly and a lot of people didn't get to see it so um 2018 what a year widows mandy annihilation cold war so many great movies that year you keep trying to hint at stuff that's going to come up on your list. No, I, I actually, I, you know what? My little uh, list that I had, I threw it away. I crumpled up and threw it away because I know exactly wow. what my top five is. Yeah, We're um, doing it live, people. We're doing it live. And also, how, much, how many crossovers do we have so far? Uh, one. One? No, really? Is it one? I think it's just Uncut Gems, and it's both at our number nine. Oh, nice. Yeah, so just for the listener at home, uh, at some point we have uh, we took like a seven-hour break today recording this episode. Uh, I'm sure it was seamless and you didn't notice, but um, I, during that seven-hour stretch, I, I actually was doing work, and I uh, at the end of my workday, I, I sat down and I watched my number 10 movie of the decade, Phantom Thread, just now, uh, Adam, and... Uh-huh. Boy, am I justified. That movie is great. It, it Honestly, maybe it should be higher. Maybe it's recency bias, but that is uh-huh. a great, great movie. Anyways. Uh, that's awesome. And also, you know, coincidentally, uh, I have, of Alex Garland's two directorial movies, uh, I have neither on my top 25. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I noticed that. And, and uh, I'm going to... I'm going to really harp on Django Unchained being in your top five, I think. <laughs> I think if it was scratching the 20 area, I would invite with it. But I think that I'm going to really remember that <laughs> from your list. But let's get – I mean, hey, hey, this is what people have been waiting for, that top right. four, that Mount Rushmore of the <laughs> 2010s. Right. And, you know, what's exciting for me personally is that I 
had the inkling that your Annihilation was going to be your number one. So I'm very excited to see the next few for you. Mm, interesting. Yeah, no, I like Annihilation. It's, do I really talk about how much I like that movie? Yes. All right. Good. Good. I should. It's great. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, number. F- you know, I agree with you. I-, I thought it was very good. It was scary. Um, but my number four is Asgar Farhadi's A Separation. Oh, yes. I see. I actually didn't know this came out in the 2010s. I thought this was like a... T- is this from 2010? Do you know? I bel- I think it's after that. Uh, I can double check right now. No, let me double check while you talk. And I hope when I come back off of this mute that I say this movie came out in 2008. I looked it up, um, but A Separation is quite an excellent film. I personally am a sucker for those heavy, dramatic films where you can just feel straight emotion between two people just talking, just conveying their needs to each other or something. And and there's so many great set pieces within, within this film that are just people arguing um, because it's a really stressful situation in The Separation and it's making my mind filled with elation. Uh oh, <laughs> here he goes. It's a classic freestyle about an Asghar Farhadi movie. Uh, am I right here? What's that? Am I right for the year? Uh, no, yeah, twenty eleven. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but yeah, you know, just just amazing performances. Obviously, it's not in English, but it still comes across as such this horrible, horrible human situation where no one's at fault but everyone's also also a little bit at fault and this one guy is just trying to hold everything together um salesman is also quite good yeah but uh i i think um a separation like my uh number three movie uh feels these two i would describe as perfect films but uh we'll see what that ends up being very nice and of course on your can team you have another one this year uh, a hero uh we'll see when that actually comes out but um definitely would would you say the um, the forefront voice in uh iranian filmmaking right now yeah i could i i don't think i can't think of anyone who could quite compete with yeah jafar jafar panahi is kind of making those like experimental movies but yeah um yeah i mean i I feel like um i feel like he's kind of the big dog right now he's the he's the i don't even know what to compare him to i guess uh I, I, we're not we're not going to see Oscar Farhadi's uh, Django Unchained anytime soon, but uh, you know he's he's definitely the big dog over there. Uh, yeah, well at least Tarantino's going to make a new movie before Alex Garland gets the check for it. <laughs> My number four is a crossover, um, oh. and it is a movie that we talked about earlier this episode, so we don't have to harp on it too much. Um, it is the uh, how should we say the origin story to Meta, if you know what I'm talking about. You're putting her again? <laughs> no, of course, this is the Citizen Kane of the 21st century. Um, Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher teaming yeah, up. Yeah, baby. For the social <laughs> network. Yeah, um, now we're talking. Basically, uh, we talk about perfect movies. I mean, perfectly directed. Like, when you think about it, what is David Fincher's best movie? Up for debate, definitely. But I think this movie is genuinely perfectly directed. Um, writing, obviously not the biggest Sorkin fan. I mean, we could go back and forth with quotes in this movies. Quotes do not make a script. Uh, that's for sure. But the story you can't handle the truth. Exactly. Well, yeah, of course. Classic. Yeah. Classic Aaron Sorkin line from the social network. Um, yeah. I I love you, Lucy. I I don't. Yeah, dude, that movie. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Uh, I can't wait to see that one. But anyways, <laughs> um, stop interrupting me while I while I, <laughs> while I uh, wax poetic about a movie we've already talked about. We don't need to talk about it. It's the social network. I I've been meaning to like watch it again recently because it's just so wa- it's so insanely watchable for a movie that when it was announced, like I had hinted towards earlier. People like were like, why would anyone want to watch a Facebook movie? And it's like, oh, wait, it was like perfectly made. And just like mm-hmm. the, it really I love a movie as we're going to see going forward that mixes commercialism with a little bit of art. And I think this movie really hits the sweet spot. Mm, my number four movie, the 2010s. Excellent. That's great to hear. Um, it sounds like we kind of resonate on the same things from that movie, because I again, one word I would use is gripping for that film. Yeah, I mean, like, you can just pick up the social network from any point onward and just watch. And I know that's a cliche, and I don't think they play it on television, but um, I don't know. I just think, like, the 21st century Citizen Kane, honestly, is pretty apt. I think, I think, uh, it maybe, <laughs> maybe there will be blood would be the right. 21st century Citizen Kane, but in terms of the 2010s, it's pretty much a lock for the social network. So, wait, that, yeah. I, I coined that. What? No, that was one of the first reviews that came out about that movie. I, I never saw that, man. I coined it. I'll never forget seeing that review and being like, wait, what? And then going to see it and being like, yeah, that was really good. I've never read that review. That was our second crossover. So That's uh, awesome. we have a lot of work to do to get to five. And I think our, our top three, but uh, I think maybe we can get knock a couple out here for sure. Right. Because uh, now it's going to get intense. Uh, these are our three amigos, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah, who's your second face on your Mount Rushmore of the 2010s? Um, it would be a director that I've already put on this list, Trevor. Really? Yeah. He continues to be one of the best in the game. It is 12 Years a Slave. Whoa, man. Two McQueen yeah. in the top 10 for you. That's right. I think he's just phenomenal. And uh, this is a really... Um, you know, it's only two above Django Unchained, and obviously there's uh, both tackling a similar time period in very, very different ways. Obviously, there is a lot of controversy with the way that Tarantino tackled it because of who he is and, and just that whole general thing. <laughs> oh, oh, you pointing out having two slave movies in your top five is so funny. <laughs> well, um Anyway, so 12 Years a Slave is is a horror movie in a lot of senses. Um, I think it, in, it, it combined with the score, the intense of, uh, intensity of the score with the situations. I mean, we just get a two or three minutes, I think, of a man just hanging um, and trying to stay alive while he's hanging. Barely, his toes barely touching the ground, all muddy, slipping all over the place. No music at that point. Um, and that's just sort of what it is it's set piece after set piece of these horribly dark incidents um that do do feel like a horror film but also uh, god i mean just feels so terribly connected yeah and you and this is one of your favorite films of the 2010s yeah it is really good i mean again like i say it is a horror film in my mind you know Mm -hmm. watching it is scary it's intense and the extra layer that all of this was you know, true makes it even worse. Um, yeah, I think the three core performances, of course, Lupita Nyongo, who won an Oscar, Chibatel mm-hmm. Ajiafor, who's always so good, and then Michael Fassbender. I saw a clip. I was reminded of his performance in this film recently, and I was like, oh, man, yeah, he was terrifying. Like, he, mm-hmm. he, he's almost – I don't really like Michael Fassbender. I, I think he has some skeletons in his closet, uh, <laughs> reportedly. But um, 
I think he was too good in the role. It like <laughs> literally like made me dislike him. So uh, bravo, definitely. Right. Well, it's cool because he's like a f- frequent uh, McQueen collaborator, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, we we missed him in Widows, though. Yeah, but uh, luckily they worked together on Assassin's Creed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, just a, a, this is this like a separation, I think, is a perfect film from beginning to end. It's just all gas, no breaks. Interesting. Yeah, it was, I was like I I couldn't really tell where you were gonna go with that number three after saying it was a perfect film. But Twelve Years a Slave, objectively, just a great movie. Not in my favorites of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. I've only seen it once. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever revisit it, especially because I saw that clip recently of Fastbender. I was like, oh yeah, this movie was like really brutal. But mm-hmm. um, look at McQueen, man, showing off the range in your top ten. That's crazy. Yeah, he's like I said, he's just one of the best in the game, man. Uh, do we know if he's working on a feature right now or what, what he has in the can? Uh, that's a good question. Last time I checked, I saw some more like maybe music video things that he was getting into. But uh, yeah. hopefully, I mean, he made like essentially five movies hmm. recently. Interesting. All right. You know well, what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Small Axe. We've already yeah. talked about this many, many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I believe Cookman called into the show to name Small Axe the, the best film of the 2020s, if I recall from our from our highly popular 2020 episode. That's right. I think it was episode number two specifically. Yes. Okay. Well, now we're in the top three. Uh, you mentioned, or I mentioned, I should say, loving a movie that mixes commercialism with a little bit of art here and there. Uh, a filmmaker who's been in the zeitgeist as of recently because he just dropped a movie. Uh, we love him. We, we were frustrated with him recently with his last two movies, which would have been Baby Driver and Last Night in Soho. But man, I love, and I'm, and I do not feel ashamed like I did with my Drive pick being in my honorable mentions. I unabashedly, to this day, love Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh my god! Absolutely. What do you think I was going World's End? <laughs> I, I I knew you weren't, but I couldn't believe it was Scott Pilgrim either. I love Scott Pilgrim versus the World, I, and 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 this is a movie that I think I watched this like eight nights in a row at one point. I I let it <laughs> I let it slip on the Aya versus the Big Boys podcast that uh that there was a time in my life where I uh I felt felt quite a bit of depression, and I watched this movie like eight nights in a row because I didn't really feel like watching anything else. And damn, like do I need to talk about the movie anymore? I, that's like my personal connection to it. I think it's the editing here, the direction here. I think it's the best graphic novel adaptation ever made. I think it's the best co- kind of quasi-video game. I don't think anyone's ever gotten it right the way that Edgar Wright and Brian Lee O'Malley got it here. Um, everyone in the cast, like literally everyone, has either was either famous coming into it or is now mega, mega famous. Um, I think the jokes now. I did see um, Misty, who volunteers here at the Frida Cinema, I did see her review on Letterboxd of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World literally lambasting it, saying that it does not hold up at all. The <laughs> jokes are not funny anymore. And that terrifies me because I haven't seen this movie in a while. Uh, I saw snippets of it when we played it at the drive-in last year. Uh, Sir Edgar Wright uh, gave us an intro, a personalized Frida intro that I was very, very proud of and very, very stoked on. Uh, and I'll always like him, literally, because of that. But... um. I was watching it from the back for a few minutes, a chunks at a time, and it just looks so good. And I, I think it's aged visually very well, but I do need to revisit it uh, soon. But I'm going out on a limb right now and saying it's my number three movie of the 2010s. 
I would never have guessed that. Um, so you really? read the novels? I have. I have them in my car. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, but you're not much of a gamer. Uh, I'm not much of a gamer, but I obviously understand gaming references and stuff. They don't go too deep here. They talk about like Zelda and stuff. Right. But uh, yeah, no, like the versus wow. format he does and stuff. I think he, I think he crushed it. And the guys who edited this is their first time editing uh, um, ever <laughs> a movie, uh, uh, a feature film, I should say. Uh, and they just they, that whiz bang Scott Pilgrim thing, and it bombed at the box office because they didn't know how to advertise it. They advertised it as basically Nick and Nora's uh, Infinite Playlist Part Two. Uh, it's another rom com starring you know Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth. Don't spoil Woodshed. your number one. Uh, <laughs> it also whoa, whoa no it's um it's not Mary Elizabeth. It's Cat it's Cat Dennings. I'm saying yeah. I'm saying that they, they tried to sell this as another rom com starring Michael Sarah, except yeah. they were gonna. But it's like no, nah, they should have just marketed it exactly what as what it is like a really cool video game movie with really awesome looking action and genuinely very funny and um, awesome songs. The metric black sheep cover that Brie Larson does just I mean yeah this cast is nuts. I am not apologizing for this. Scott Pilgrim, number three. Amazing. I never would have seen that coming. Um, but I, I respect you for choosing that. I think our chances of five overlapping um, is dwindling here. <laughs> they, yeah, they died. They just died. Well, we could have the next four overlap. It's true. It's true. Yeah, we already have two. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, but darn, that's, uh, that's an interesting pick, Trevor. It barely made it into the 2010s. Yes, it did. Uh, and guess what? We have an overlap here for my number two. Whoa! Wow, that's exciting. That is exciting. It is Director Parks the Handmaiden. No shit. That is your number two movie of the 2010s. It is so good, and I didn't even realize how good it was until we rewatched it for this podcast here, and I'm glad I did. It's just because, boy, does it hit. I mean, we already kind of talked about it, but who mama is that an epic yeah, that's it's a great movie. We we talked about it as in terms of a, like a parasite, like a like a transformer almost. Just really, really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, that's all I have to say, except for the fact that we got to try to get our hands on that extended version of it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, yeah, we had talked about that. Jeez, how much longer could that movie really be? Like, what like what's <laughs> missing from that movie? Right. That's maybe more octopus. Yeah, the, the the unrated version. Like, wait, what? What is there stuff that we didn't see? Right. Uh, good pick. Yeah, I think that was my what my number eight or something. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, crossover within the top twenty, uh, top top ten, I should say. It's very very impressive. And that's crossover um, number three. Let's see. Uh, crossover number three. Yeah, it's just, it just feels like it's rigged, but I, I don't think it is. My number two movie of the twenty tens is from uh, a filmmaker also in the zeitgeist. Uh, a filmmaker that maybe we've already talked about on this episode. And gee, maybe I just sat down and watched one of his movies on the big screen. Uh, I'm talking about The Master. The Master. Yes. Uh, I saw this movie in 70mm on opening day. Mulholland Drive was literally burning down as I was sitting in traffic to go see it. Left my mm. house three hours early to get there early. Ended up almost missing the movie because of that fire. Um I got there. I was pulling into a parking spot. There was someone standing in the parking spot, and she was like, oh, sorry, I'm holding this for a friend. I was like, oh, okay. And then I drove away, and I said, wait, that was Jodie Foster. So I I went and saw (laughs) it at the Arclight opening day at like 4 p.m., and uh, Quentin Tarantino, Jodie Foster, uh, director Bong, and I'm sure a bunch of other people were at that screening. Whoa. Yeah, it was the place to be. Um, I went to a party afterwards. 
uh, and of course, no one at the party had seen the master because why would they have? It was in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bit was that everyone kept asking, like, eh, yeah, you saw a movie today? What was it? And I'd go, oh, uh, that, the master, have you heard of it? And they go, oh, no. I go, oh, it's okay. You don't really get cinema then. Uh, <laughs> so, like, it was like that pretentious joke for me at first because I was so befuddled by it when I saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, remember, I remember thinking, wow, this movie's like a little funnier than because I, I could hear Quentin Tarantino's laugh, his obnoxious <laughs> laugh during the movie. He had, like, <laughs> clearly already seen it. So he was laughing at, like, all the laugh lines. And, God, um, I would have hated that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it, it's, it is a funny movie. And, like, you don't really yeah. realize how some of how funny some of his movies are, like Phantom Thread and There Will Be Blood until you watch them with an audience again. but uh, Or an audience, at least, that's already seen the movie, so they know the parts that are funny. But um, there is just that a movie, I think, that literally exists that has three better core performances than what Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Amy Adams are doing in this movie. Like, if they had all three won Oscars, I think they should have all three won Oscars. I think they're just untouchable i think some of the scenes in this movie i think paul thomas anderson is the best director of scenes so when i saw the movie the first time i knew there were some incredible scenes in it but i didn't think it came together but on second and third watch i mean it speaks for itself my number two movie of the 2010s uh and i think it's just so cool for a director that i love so much to make a movie called the master you know what i mean like uh and uh i think it kind of got the, it was a little overblown how people were like, oh, yeah, that's the Scientology movie. I'm like, it's not the Scientology movie. Like, it's a pretty broad thing that he's doing in this movie. Um, I want to say it's probably my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Like, I think people don't bring this movie up enough when they talk about great performances from him. Right. And it was one of the last ones we got from him, uh, unfortunately. But it, it's it's just – it's so incredible. Jesse Plemons, Rami Malek, Laura Dern. The supporting cast is just crazy. Yeah, quite excellent. I saw it also um, in theaters. This was when I was still in high school and I was still trying to get into film. Yeah. Um, and I saw it was kind of an indie film playing at the local uh, Cinema City. You know where that is? Yes, of course I do. In Anaheim, one of, one of the best uh, theaters in Orange County. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. So I actually had the free period. I had a free last period. And so I drove down there to go see it because I wanted to be cool and I wanted to have the indie movie under my belt like you did. Um, and I was also befuddled. I completely didn't really get it, uh, but it was just kind of cool to see a weird movie in the middle of the day with a bunch of old people in the theater. Um, and what's funny is um, that I love this movie too. And uh, my uh, my friend, friend of the show, Russell, also loves it. Um, and his parents went to go see it before he went to see it in theaters. And they said it's one of the worst movies they had ever seen. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that that it's going to get that reaction. It's like, yeah. Like when licorice pizza hits the mainstream, people are not gonna like it, but it just annihilated the the per theater average this weekend. Like it's like it broke the record for like per theater average, or certainly was the highest since Parasite. It's like in our little bubble, in our world, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie is gonna like, of course, gonna create like a stampede at the Westwood Regency. But right. like when it hits the mainstream, people are just not gonna know what to do with that movie, and that's okay. He kind of is playing in his own corner of the sandbox, and I I dig that. Yeah, and it's nice. It's nice that he stays that way, you know, that he doesn't let the people get to him. Uh, but yeah, excellent, excellent second pick, Trevor. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear what your number one is. All right. Uh, all right, here it is, Trevor. We're getting into the last, the big ones, the cojones. Uh-huh. Now, this is the big one. This is your number one. This is the big one. I don't know if we're going to make it to that crossover, but... Uh, doesn't seem like it. No. Uh, so my number one, Trevor, I want to, uh, I want to tell you something. Yeah. Uh, I want to get you 
<laughs> on a slow boat to China. Yeah, I saw this coming. Yeah, that's good. That's good. This would be shocking if it wasn't in your top 20. <laughs> Ooh, the master. That's right. My number one. That's um, that is actually crazy that that's my number two of the decade and you're number one of the decade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, there's our fourth crossover, so we got one chance left. But mm-hmm. uh, oh my god, that movie is incredible. You're right, the performances and just the scenery chewing. Yeah, that that movie is. It's so good, so vivid, vividly depicted of these two characters uh, that find each other, that fall in love. It's like a romance movie. Yeah, no doubt. Undoubtedly. Um, And just watching that sort of unfurl and go through all these moments, it's beautiful to look at. This whole film is just gorgeous. And it's not even that much all the time. It's mostly a house. Um, But just to watch the the crazy, crazy thought patterns of this guy who, who thinks that he's sort of a prophet in his own way, who thinks he can communicate and do all these things, um, is is just so exciting, so titillating to watch and see it done so well. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant film. I love it. I will watch that movie over and over and, and not get enough out of it every time. Is it better than The Will Be Blood? I don't. I don't think so, but it's close. <laughs> That's okay. Well, then now I know what you think of The Will Be Blood. Well, there will be, but is like my favorite movie. Okay, okay, all right. Well, yeah, that's that's fair. My top three a PTA is Punch Drunk Love, and then those two movies. Um, yeah, I mean I that's think... that's my top three as well. Really? Oh, cool. Yeah. Not in that order though. No. Yeah, I I, I think that um interesting. Wow, we're finding a lot of crossover here. I did. Oh, <laughs> I'm not. You know, I don't. You know, four movies out of twenty or twenty five movies is not that much crossover. But uh, yeah, no, I I mean. I was kind of looking through the window as it was playing on the big screen the other day. It was like, what? Like, movies don't look like this anymore. And that was in 2012. Like, like right. the movies just don't look this good anymore, you know? Right. Uh, it, just the palette he's playing with in that movie is just incredible. And then you add, like, the performances on top of it. It's like, oh, wait, this is just an incredible movie, like, beginning to end. So, yeah, good pick. I, I, can't, I can't argue with that being your number one. I wish I wish I could. I wish you had thrown another Django Unchained in the, into, the, into the mix here. <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, God, if you haven't seen that movie, you you have to, but please try to go into it uh, with as open a mind as possible. It's very slow. It's a slow movie, but you'll come to love that about it if you like it, watching it initially. Yeah, I'll never forget my first rewatch of it being like, oh no, like this is like, in, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen, right. uh, but what a, what a great discovery. Mm-hmm. Well, four crossover uh, leads us to my number one. Uh, Adam, my favorite film of the 2000s, it sounds like yours is There Will Be Blood. Mine is Children of Men. Um, I love Children of Men. Yeah. I think Children of Men does an extremely good job uh, that most movies that I like, like I've been mentioning, do. It marries commercialism with um art you know what i mean like quadron like really like he you know he can make a harry potter movie or he can make a itu mama tambien you know he can mix those two things together really really well so my number one of the 2010s also does that i think it's one of the best movies ever to have done that because it's a movie that feels massive although not much really happens in it uh, it has one of my favorite structures of a movie ever made. Uh, there's actually a, a scene three quarters of the way through where they mess with the structure of the movie out loud via dialogue uh, and exposition. And I just have a big old smile on my face every time it happens. Awesome performances. 
some of the best practical effects ever put on film. Uh, this is our fifth crossover. I knew uh, it, you red herring mother effer. <laughs> so, um, Mad Max Fury Road is my yeah, baby. Movie. <laughs> uh, I think it's like, I think this is very film Twitter of me, but I just don't think a movie matches the energy. Like this movie won like five or six Academy Awards, and they were all technical, but. Um, that was one of my favorite Academy Award moments ever because I won the pool that year. I won the pool two years in a row with the Frida, and then they stopped letting me come back. But um, I basically wrote down Mad Max Fury Road for all the technical awards, and that's how I won the pool is because it won so many in a row because how could it not? I, I, can't, I don't even understand how it didn't win Best Director um, because this certainly has the most directing uh, in a movie. You know, it's, <laughs> it's edited perfectly. Charlize Theron is like, I cannot wait to see uh, even the Furiosa sequel just to see this character more. I know she's not really going to be in it, but I mean, who who better to take the crown than ATJ? But um, yeah, no, I just I I think I, I've talked about this movie many 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 times. I even saw it on film recently, and I'm not a big film person. And the 35 millimeter print of it wasn't great, but it, it, it's 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 like it's completely unbeatable the movie because even when the 35 millimeter print looks bad, it just made it look like more of an exploitation movie, more of an Ozploitation movie. So it was like an awesome new experience watching the movie. I just, there's, there's nothing like Mad Max Fury Road. And in terms of action, maybe we'll never get anything like it again. Uh, it's just like a crazy man in his seventies going out into the desert after two decades two and a half decades of making kids movies because you know basically he stopped making the mad max movies when he had kids uh, his kids grew out of you know moved out of the house or whatever and he stepped right back in the director's chair and delivered the best movie of the 2010s in my opinion wow that is amazing i knew you were gonna red herring me but i didn't realize it was gonna be done this well um what you know so that's five crossover i yeah, I, I can't I believe it yeah so i kept i kept my Anytime you had a movie on my list, I kept it to myself, obviously, to lead right. to something dramatic. But I didn't think it would be this dramatic. <laughs> like, so we're definitely going to have to do the Hot Ones episode, and we'll have to name it something else that's not, you know, copyright infringement. Right. But um, I had tossed out the idea of doing a, a Hubie Halloween commentary episode while eating the Hot Wings. <laughs> Uh, that's not. I, I I might be down to do that just because you've delighted me so much with this number one. Uh, yeah. No, I can't. Well, I it's that's been my number one for that. That's been my number one probably since like I saw the movie in theaters like four times. Nice. I just I couldn't get enough of it. The music, the score. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a part at the end of that movie where Charlize Theron's been stabbed and she looks out the window and she sees all the mayhem that's going on and the score is just going and it is just beautiful like in the, in the midst of the it is beautiful chaos that my favorite moment in film in the 2010s is when she, they get to the green place and she learns that it's been dried up for years mm -hmm. and she goes and she has that breakdown that iconic breakdown in the sand yeah. and my uh, friend of the show ian who was on uh, our killing of a sacred deer episode he like he sees that moment and he's like why couldn't the new star wars movies have even just an inkling of that emotion i mean they're always on desert planets you know what i mean like like <laughs> right. why couldn't they have had any moments that even halfway match that but right. um yeah. yeah just an that, incredible masterpiece yeah that movie feels it's too good in the sense that like it feels like we shouldn't really have that movie you know it yeah. feels like Maybe we've seen bits of that in a dream and we wake up and we're like, oh, man, that would be really cool if that did happen. 
And he has so many goofy details in the movie that you would usually like derail so many other movies. Like, oh, I didn't like like that weird guy with like the big foot. Like that like was weird to me. And it's like everything that's weird in this movie works. And it's like kind of a it's, it's a you're right. It's a miracle. The movie is a complete miracle. So all that um, stuff is just super charming in the context of everything because the world feels so thought out, you know, and it, with its religion and everything. It's almost it's it is jokey in a way, but it's it's. I don't know. It just works. You're right. I, it's just so good. There's that scene three quarters of the way through that I referenced where the they start taking off. The ladies start taking off into the salt flats and they leave Mad Max behind because he's like, oh, I'm just going to go my own way now. We're kind of all screwed. Mm-hmm. And then he tra- he chases them down on a bike, stops in front of them, and he says, wait, what if we went right back the way we came? And they're like, that could work. We could get to the Citadel before they do and lock them out, blah, 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 blah right? We could cut mm-hmm. off the pass. And I'm like, this movie structure is going to a place and then going right back to the place they came from. And it is <laughs> right. genius. It is totally yeah. genius. It is still good. Like I said, I watched it this past weekend and the person I won the person over who, who was not interested in watching it and they loved it. Awesome. You um, watched it on your 16 uh, inch television? Yeah, my CRTV. <laughs> um, I have two questions for you. Yeah. One, um, have you seen the black and chrome? I have, I have. I think taking the color out of this movie is idiotic. I think okay, that the color yeah. is one of the best things about this movie. Uh, so, uh, still a good movie, but why would why would we minimize one of the great things about the movie? Have you seen it? No, I I, I have it, but I, I haven't. Every time I want to watch the movie, I just want to see all the cool colors. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, there's like the, I mean, like they put out Parasite in black and white. It's like that's not better in black and white. The only movie right. that's been in better in black and white than we've discussed it was The Mist. Darren Bott wanted to make The Mist in black and white. That movie mm-hmm. is better in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and Justice League. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and then my second question for you is: When was the last time that you've seen Happy Feet? Uh, I don't know when the last time i saw happy feet is i've seen happy feet too much more recently and i think it was like on a television that a teacher in college wheeled in or something <laughs> will you please before we do this hot ones episode will you yeah. please rewatch it with your candles you know give it a proper watching the first happy feet yeah all right i'll do that and also we're gonna do the hot ones episode the hot ones hot ones hubie halloween <laughs> um <laughs> We'll do that in January or February because I'll have something to uh, promote at that time, and I can okay. get a guest on who wants to promote something. So, um, yeah, what a, what a list, what a time! Two yeah. hour and forty minute episodes to go through these twenty to twenty five movies. Right, and uh, frankly, pretty thrilling for me. I hope it was as thrilling for the audience here, <laughs> you guys listening. Yeah, you had genuine excitement when I when I released that Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> announcement. Yeah, because I I was at first I was thinking you were gonna go straight to Roma, which is what you wanted because you Roma. Interesting. Yeah, no, I I like Roma for sure. Oh, right, right, right. Because I was mentioning Alfonso Cuarón. No, yeah. I draw I draw a line between because Children of Men has some really incredible technical scenes that are like action scenes right. uh, amongst this awesome drama. We'll talk about Children of Men another time, but. Uh, Adam, we got to get out of here. This is a long episode. Yeah. Uh, we're, it's almost midnight. We're recording right now. Um, and this episode drops tomorrow morning. <laughs> um, but uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah. You know, uh, check me out on Letterboxd. It's Adam with three M's. And um, check out my website, adamjcwagner.com. Thank you, everyone, really, for joining us. Uh, it's been really exciting.
Trevor? Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna give my plugs here, and we're gonna do our very last segment. Uh, speaking of everyone, we're gonna read out some uh, some of the favorite 2010 movies. But you can follow me at Trevor Dills on Instagram and Twitter. Follow me on Letterboxd at Captain Dills, and then also follow us at Ghost Party Picks on social media to see what we're up to on this podcast. All right, let's do it, Adam. Let's close out the show by reading the listener answers to our question. Yeah, excellent. What is the favorite movie of theirs of the 2010s? Oh. Uh, user Oso oh Crumbly, uh, friend of the show, Aaron, mm-hmm. he says PTA is the master. You got to put it to him. You got to put job. it to him. Uh, we have uh, the ladies from Time Warp Radio, or at least one of them. I'm going to have to assume it's Haley, uh, said The Florida Project. Oh, excellent pick. Yeah, we didn't we didn't uh, talk about that one, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I love the Sean Baker movies. Obviously, I'm super stoked for Red Rocket. Not only is it on my can team, but yeah, <laughs> I, I love the Florida Project. I think Willem Dafoe's performance has been like so grounded and incredible. Yeah, I would love to rewatch that. Um, Time Warp Radio also responded. I'm gonna guess this is Katie saying, uh, "Away we go." John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Way We Go. I, I haven't seen that movie, uh, but I got to check it out now. If, if one of our uh, friends of the show says it's their favorite movie of the 2010s. I get that. Um, Although, I, I think Maya Rudolph's husband was really nailing the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a great job. Uh, Pink Cow Duffy, uh, which is Craig Duffy, who was on our uh, uh, aforementioned The Mist episode, mm-hmm. uh, says Twin Peaks The Return, which is – I knew we would get this answer from a few people, actually. Um, we um, User at Remember Buh also says Twin Peaks The Return, but uh, he also oh, yeah. says Inherent Vice as well. Nice. All right. We're going to go ahead and disqualify those two. Yes. Uh, and Pink Cow Duffy says if you're going to disqualify Twin Peaks The Return – uh, his favorite movie is 20th Century Women, uh, the Ooh. Mike Mills film. Yes. Uh, and Mike Mills got a new joint coming out this weekend. Uh, come on, come on. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully Cook- I can see it before this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Apes of God. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Cookman, our good friend Cookman, uh, he says his favorite movie of the 2010s is The Counselor. Ridley Scott's The Counselor. That is insane. And you know what's insane about that? I watched that movie last night. Yeah. Wait, wait, um, you, but you knew this answer. What's that? Did you not know this was coming? Uh, I don't remember him writing that. But yeah, no, I just watched this movie last night. And uh, to say it's your favorite movie of the 2010s is bonkers. Absolutely yeah. bonkers take. Um, but it's something. It really is something. I'm on my Ridley Scott apology tour, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, at user uh, uh, Seldstein uh, says, The World's End, an Edgar Wright movie. Uh, good for them. You know, they know what they like. Yeah, no, I love the world's in. It didn't make my top 25, but it should have gotten a mention. Uh, listener Alex Chung says Moneyball. There's our Sorkin joint. Whoa, okay. Respect. Absolutely. Um, Re, uh, our, our friend Re, uh, says Paddington 2. Okay, Re, thanks a lot. No, th- I think that's a genuine answer. I know it is. Yeah, yeah. I think Paddington 2 is really great. Um, I really need to watch it again. I watched it, uh, I think, like at Thanksgiving last year, and I really liked it. But I, I didn't have the guts to put it on my top 25. Yeah, but the thing is, that's such a re-answer that I don't think it's it's true. No, I I, I think she's serious. I I, th- I think Reeves being serious. I, I, David Elric would literally tell you that's one of the best movies of the 2010s. I don't think in her heart that's what she believes. All right. Well, I think it's, it's like saying if we asked her what's her best of the 2010s she would put shrek oh you mean the 2000s yeah yeah well i mean i don't know re if you you have a response to this and you're joking let us know but like 
I think you're serious, and I hope you're serious. I hope this isn't a joke because it's not funny because those movies are great. <laughs> the Paddington Look, movies are really good. Ree's too much of a coward to make it this far into the podcast. Know, so my my statement stands, baby. I know. This episode is going to be an hour and 45 minutes long uh, with, like, no editing. Uh, <laughs> at listener Lagata Bruja says, Mandy, baby. There's our 2018. Interesting. Okay. Mandy, yeah. People love Mandy. Uh, rewind at Rewind Road Trip, our buddy Jonathan from our uh, what did he bring on Space Cadets or some shit? What did we talk about? Space Mutiny. <laughs> Space Mutiny, yeah. He says Cabin in the Woods. That was his favorite movie of the 2010s. Okay, that's a fun one. Speaking of a movie that um is like a transformer continually moving to different genres throughout, uh, mm-hmm. Cabin in the Woods, great first time theater experience. I saw it up in uh, San Luis Obispo, and mm-hmm. my crowd of 20 people had a blast. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a nice fusion of horror and comedy for sure. Yeah, uh, at Diego, our buddy from our Jupiter Ascending episode, he says uh, uh, Orson Welles is the other side of the wind. Hey, Diego, I'm in the credits for that. Hey, very cool. Yeah, that's a tricky answer for the 2010s because obviously it was put together. Uh, that was that movie's a trip. That movie's pure cinema. Yeah, you know what? I wish that I had Diego's eyes for movies. Because following him on Letterboxd, he loves every single movie he watches. And it is so pure and genuine. Each time he posts like a five-star review, which is pretty much every time, uh, it warms my heart. I love it. Yeah, two of my favorite follows in the world are Diego and Cookman. I feel like if, I, I feel like if they like got together and had conversations about movies, it would be... Mm-hmm just I, I, the perfect mix of cynical and optimism <laughs> i just i would love to hear them talking i don't think they know each other but i should put them in contact yeah, i'm sure I, they obviously they follow each other and stuff but i would love that and you can hear that in our uh um what movie did he come oh jupiter ascending movie where he gives every ranking pretty much a 10 it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so one, one of my favorite moments in the podcast history <laughs> yeah, sir. um definitely um we should get them both on the show we'll get them on an episode soon and like yeah. some super episode uh two more here uh, at listener lom 409 says la la land baby interesting okay yeah i love la la land i love it i, I just like scott pilgrim and drive i'm not backing down from that one quite yet i gotta say um, um, yeah. i love whiplash and first man i do not like first man last one here uh, at Scott Bruin seventy five, uh, Scotty, who we will have on the show one day, probably to talk about the room. We'll probably have Greg Sestero on the show to talk about the room, and we'll just throw <laughs> Scott Scott on that episode as well. Uh, he says, unfortunately, Hubie Halloween was twenty twenty and doesn't qualify, so I'm gonna go with Knives Out. Oh, excellent! You know what? I, I'm sad I forgot to mention that also. Yeah, I love Knives Out. It's a great movie. Yeah. I actually thought about just throwing it on on Thanksgiving the, the other day because it feels so. Uh, ingrained in my brain as a Thanksgiving movie. Um, thank you all for writing in. That was very fun and a lot of feedback. And we um, not a lot of ladies in the uh, in the old DMs over at Ghost Party Picks answering that question. We only had a few of them, but uh, I, I I posted it one time and we had an answer. We had two answers, and I, I'm sorry I'm not gonna be able to read out your your handles because I deleted the question. But the the two answers, Adam, were yeah. Lady Bird, and then the other one was a different person, and that person said uh, uh, Little Women. Okay, right on. I think yeah. uh, both two excellent films in twenty. Yeah, so so Greta was coming on very very strongly with the with the listeners there, um, or at least people who follow us on Ghost Party Picks, mm-hmm. and uh, also of course you had Francis Hall on there and Little Women. So Greta was all over the twenty tens. So yeah, maybe... I wish she was all over another movie. 
All right. All right. That, that'll do it for us over here at uh, Ghost Party Radio. Uh, this is the most fun I've had doing two episodes of the show. Me and too. the format of the show is kind of changing and going forward. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, having some guests back on to just basically talk about whatever the hell they want. Um, any any closing thoughts, Adam? Um, I agree. This was a blast. And I'm excited to do our next episode. I don't know if we've talked about it yet. Uh, maybe we'll save it. But uh, it's going to be a good time. Now let's announce it. We're going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy because we're watching it on Saturday. Yeah, extended edition. Absolutely. We'll be talking about all three of those movies. Uh, I don't know the format of exactly how we'll be doing it, but we'll be discussing the Lord of the Rings and just really nerding out over that. So I'm excited about that. But um, that's it for us over here. And uh, thank you for listening to Ghost Party Radio. I'm hosting the show now. Adam, we have officially smoked some cools. I love their minty flavor. (laughs) That's great. Bye. If if you if you if you already know the answers to your questions, then why ask pig fuck?